Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you on the radio. So happy to be here. It's cold over the United States, but there's some good news and there's some bad news that the community should know about. The good news most of you probably do know about, on Friday the 25th of January, Congress and leaders reached a deal to end the government shutdown. The story is yielding to mounting pressure and growing disruption, President Donald Trump and congressional leaders reached a short-term deal to reopen the government for three weeks while negotiations continue over the president's demands for money to build his long-promised wall at the U.S. border. Mr. Trump announced the agreement to break the 35-day impasse as intensifying delays at the nation's airports and widespread disruption brought new urgency to efforts to resolve the standoff. Now, 35 days is the longest government shutdown in history, we say, they'd say. But after saying for weeks, after saying for weeks that he would not reopen the government without border wall money, Mr. Trump soon said he would sign a bill to reopen government through February 15th without additional money for his signature campaign promise. He said that a bipartisan committee of lawmakers would be formed to consider border spending before the new deadline. However, Mr. Trump hinted he was still considering taking unilateral action if efforts to come up with money for his wall fail. He said, I have very, I have a very powerful alternative, but I don't want to use it at this time. At least five Republican senators had been calling Trump, urging him to reopen the government and have the Senate consider his request for border wall money through regular legislation, according to a person familiar with the situation and who was not authorized to discuss the private talks publicly. Now, the breakthrough came as LaGuardia Airport in New York and Newark Liberty International Airport in New Jersey both experienced at least 90-minute delays in takeoffs. This is Friday. Due to the world's busiest airport, Hartsfield, Jackson's Atlanta Airport was also experiencing long security wait times. A warning sign the week before it expects 150,000 out-of-town or out-of-town visitors for the Super Bowl. So pressure had been building among parties, both parties, to reopen agencies immediately and pay hundreds of thousands of beleaguered federal workers while bargainers hunt for a deal. Monday the 28th was the start of the federal tax filing season, but fewer than half of the furloughed furloughed rather, IRS employees recalled during the shutdown to handle tax returns and send out refunds reported for work. Now, the employees had been told to work without pay, which they didn't want to do. At the White House, Mr. Trump told reporters he'd support a reasonable agreement to open or reopen the government 
He also said he wanted a prorated down payment for his long-sought border wall with Mexico. I say he's not going to get it. There's no need for the kind of wall that he's talking about, and shutting down the government of the United States for 35 days is reprehensible, just horrible. As a matter of fact, the scholars and the congressional people who do this kind of stuff tell us that this shutdown cost the United States government $11 billion, not $11 million, $11 billion in lost productivity and revenues that come in from certain things. It's just ridiculous. I'm glad that the shutdown is over. Now, here's some more information that some of you may have heard about. Many of you probably watched the show Empire. One of its stars is Josie Samolet, and he was hospitalized this past week. As a matter of fact, it was Tuesday, January 29th, that he was attacked in Chicago. He's been hospitalized or was hospitalized after a violent attack. One authorities are deeming an apparent hate crime. The incident occurred around 2 a.m. on a Tuesday, as I said, January 29th. According to reports, two men wearing ski masks placed a noose around his neck during the attack. The two men allegedly yelled, this is MAGA country. MAGA stands for Make America Great Again. And they asked Smollett, aren't you that N-word on empire? Smollett fought back, but the two men, both white, fractured one of his ribs and viciously attacked him. They also put a rope around his neck and poured bleach on him as they left. It's been reported that Smollett had recently received a letter with cut-out letters spelling a derogatory statement about his homosexuality. Chicago law enforcement is investigating the attack as battery. Smollett was later released from the hospital. He's 35 years old. He's confirmed that he's gay, and he came out during a 2015 interview on the Ellen program and hope that other gay individuals would feel less alone in the world. Now, I've gotten some later information about this. Smollett had been released or has been released from the hospital, but he is yet to issue a statement. Many celebrities took to social media in support of the singer, songwriter, actor, including Empire creator Lee Daniels. Chicago police have gone through lots of surveillance video, and they think they found one of the perpetrators of the attack. They have not indicated who he is, nor has an arrest been made. But this is sounds like a homophobic attack and a hate crime. I hope whoever has done it will be caught, tried, convicted, and sent to prison. Now, again, that's a tough story. On the heels of the Smollett information, we learned that James Ingram, James Ingram, he's a singer and a songwriter, has passed away at the age of 66. He was best known for his Quincy Jones collaboration, The Secret Garden. 
He had a duet, duet with Patty Austin on Baby Come to Me and his work on Michael Jackson's PYT, Pretty Young Thing. You all remember that. He wrote that. He never sang it, but Michael Jackson made it very popular. Pretty Young Thing, PYT. Yes, he was 66 years old. The cause of death has not been revealed. Debbie Allen, an actor, dancer, singer who worked with Ingram on several projects, wrote on Twitter, I have lost my dearest friend and creative partner James Ingram to the Celestial Choir. He will always be cherished. I loved and remember, I love and remember him for his genius, his love of family, and his humanity. I'm blessed to have been so close. We will forever speak his name. Mr. Ingram was a two-time Grammy Award winner as well as a two-time Academy Award nominee for his work on The Day I Fall in Love from Beethoven's second movie, Look What Love Has Done from the film Junior. It's unconfirmed why or what malady he died from. Mr. Ingram was born in Akron, Ohio in 1952. His family was very instrumental in the church, sang. He was a self-taught musician. We will miss him. James Ingram, singer-songwriter, passed away at 66 years old. Well, you might watch the awards programs like I do. I like movies. There are a lot of good ones out there, some you should see. We've already had the uh, foreign, the foreign um, correspondence dinner, which uh, won the best picture for Green Book. This past week we had the SAG Awards, that is the Screen Actors Guild Award. Some of you may know that Black Panther, the movie Black Panther, took the top award at Sunday's 25th Screen Actors Guild, giving Ryan Coogler's superhero sensation its most significant award season honor yet, and potentially setting up Wakanda for a major role at next month's Academy Awards. Two other leading Oscar nominees, Roma and The Favorite, were bypassed by the Actors Guild, for Best Ensemble feel that included Black Klansmen, Crazy Rich Asians, Crazy Rich Asians, and Bohemian Rhapsody and A Star is Born. Although the Black Panther movie wasn't nominated for any individual Screen Actor Guild Awards, it took, it took home the final award at the Final Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles. Before a stage full of actors, Chadwick Boseman tried to put into context the moment of trailblazing for Black Panther, which also won for its stunt performance ensemble. He said to be young, gifted, and black, quoting Nita Simone, that's what we have to do. He goes on to say, we know what it's like to be told there isn't a screen for you to be featured on a stage for you to be featured on. We know what it's like to be beneath and not above. And that is what we went to work or why we went to work every day, says Bozeman. We knew we could create a world that exemplified 
a world we wanted to see. We knew that we had something to give. The Wind puts Black Panther, the movie, squarely in contention for Best Picture of the Academy Awards, where it's nominated for seven honors, including Best Pictures. I've seen it. It's very good. If you haven't seen it, try to see it. All right. So enough of that. There are things happening in the African-American community that I like to bring to your attention. Enough of it is not told. I don't know if any of you have heard of the Rhodes scholarships that are given out every year to students in the United States. Black students across the country are continuing to display excellence in the realm of academia, and three African-American students have been selected as 2019 Rhodes Scholars. The students are three of 32 chosen by the Rhodes Trust to be granted graduate scholarships to further their education at the England-based Oxford University. They were picked from a pool of nearly 3,000 applicants. Among the black students who received the honor are Leah Petros, a University of Pittsburgh alumna who studied economics and neuroscience and minored in chemistry. Then there's the University of Pennsylvania senior, Ania B. Moore, who is studying law and African studies, and Mr. Austin T. Hughes from the University of Iowa, who is currently majoring in theater arts, creative writing, and literature and Japanese linguistics. Now, all three of these students have used their knowledge to make an impact in their local communities and beyond. Ms. Petros led a research project in Malawi surrounding the economics of health information systems. Ms. Moore has explored how race, class, and gentrification are intertwining through her research, and Mr. Hughes has received several awards for his creative writing. The Rose Trust has come a long way when it comes to the representation of black Americans and black scholars. We learned that the first African-American to receive a Rhodes Scholarship was the philosopher Alain Leroy Locke in 1907. Back in 2017, 10 African-American students were named Rhodes Scholars. Something to shoot for. Now there's more of this kind of news. Things that many people don't think about African-Americans doing. But I have some information here that I want to talk about. There's a 30-year-old woman. Her name is Marina Robinson Snowden. She walked across the commencement stage at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, that's MIT, on June 8th, that's last June 8th, and became the first black woman to earn a Ph.D. in nuclear engineering from the university. Grateful for every part of this experience, highs and lows, she wrote on Instagram. Every person who supported me and those who didn't, grateful for a praying family, a husband who took on this challenge as his own, sister, as his own sister's, who reminded me at every stage how powerful I am. Friends who inspired me to fight harder, grateful for the professors who fought for me and 
against me. Every experience on this journey was necessary, and I'm better for it. Now, Ms. Snowden told CNBC that as a child, she never dreamed of a career in STEAM, S-T-E-A-M. She said, I was quite the opposite. I think my earliest memories of math and science were definitely one of like nervousness and anxiety, just a kind of overall fear of the subject. She said that her high school math and science teachers helped her get over that fear. When she was a senior in high school, she and her dad were introduced to FAMU. That's the Florida A&M University. When they visited, she was treated like a football player getting recruited. When they found out that she was interested in majoring in physics, they took her straight to the scholarship office. She decided to attend FAMU, and during her undergraduate years, she participated in MIT's summer research program where she was introduced to nuclear engineering. She decided to continue her education and applied to eight schools, but was accepted by only one, MIT's nuclear engineering program. She said, you know, you take a risk, you put yourself out there, and sometimes you get a hit. And you only need one hit, she told CNBC. You don't have to get into every school. You just have to get into the one that you're supposed to be at. She enrolled at MIT in 2011, according to her advisor, quickly made her mark. She um, graduated or got her Ph.D. in 2018. That's something. Her name, Marina Robinson Snowden, 30 years old. All right. The last bit of news I have about African Americans, we learned that Martin Luther King Jr.'s home in Atlanta has been sold to the National Park Service. There's a report that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s family home in Atlanta's Vine City neighborhood will now become part of the city's federal park, which includes the church where he preached and the birth home of the civil rights icon. The house will be accessible to the public as part of the Martin Luther King Jr. National Historic Park. The National Park Foundation announced this past Thursday um, all this information. The outlet also noted that the National Park Foundation bought the home from the estate of Coretta Scott King, then, tans- then transferred ownership to the National Park Service. The acquisition of both Dr. King's birth home and the family home he shared with Coretta Scott King and their children advances the National Park Foundation's commitment to telling a more comprehensive American story through national parks with greater access to Dr. King's life and legacy. We can learn more about this country's past and how his work continues to echo through time, said Will Shafford president of the National Park Foundation. Isn't that something? Very nice. Martin Luther King Jr.'s home in Atlanta sold to the National Park Service. This is the information I wanted to give you today. This is Birdsong. Stick with me. I'll be back with some more information that you might want to hear. Tongue back with you. Thanks for sticking with me. 
I have more to tell you about. I told you some information before that might be good for the African American community and the listeners who may not have heard some of the information that I had. Right now, I want to tell you that I've been trying to partner with AARP, the American Association of Retired People. They have a lot of good information about jobs for senior citizens and about uh, how to how to understand Medicare and Medicaid, how to protect themselves from fraud and other things. They sent me some information this week that I want to share with you. It's about where to look for jobs in 2019. This comes from the AARP newsletter. They say Cape Coral, Florida is one of the top cities where employers anticipate a strong increase in hiring in early 20, in 2019. If you're looking to start the new year with warm weather, sunny beaches, and plenty of leisure activities, Florida might be a good place to start. And if you're in the market for a job, the Sunshine State also could be one of the best places to find one in early 2019, according to a new report. The Manpower Group, a firm that studies job trends, conducted more than 12,500 interviews with employees in the nation's 100 largest metropolitan regions. Participants were asked about whether they expected to hire workers during January through March 2019, compared with the last three months of 2018. Their responses reveal the strongest hiring intentions in 12 years, the report says. Increased employer optimism tells us that employers have jobs to fill, yet we know they are struggling to find the talent they need. From production line workers to IT professionals, says Becky Frankowitz, who's the president of the Manpower Group North America. Quote, with so many U.S. organizations set to hire in an already tight labor market, skilled workers can call the shots. Now, while the report states that hiring will be strong across the country, 23% of the employers expect to grow their workforce Jobs could be especially abundant in the Sunshine State, that's Florida. Several cities in Florida topped the report's list for the biggest anticipated increases in hiring over the first three months of 2019. Here are the top ten cities they report about. This also includes a few extras due to ties. First city where you might find jobs. Daytona, Florida. Second, Cape Coral, Florida. Third, Tampa, Florida. Four, Jacksonville, Florida, which ties with Raleigh, North Carolina, for job openings. And then we go to Boise, Idaho. That's not part of the Sunshine State, but there are lots of jobs going unfilled there. There's also job Possibilities in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and in Honolulu, Hawaii. Also, San Jose, California, Houston, McEllen, those both are in Texas, 
and Northport, Florida are all tied. Also, jobs are needed or their positions in Boston, Massachusetts, as well as Milwaukee. Also, job opportunities in Charleston, South Carolina, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Indianapolis, Indiana, Phoenix, Arizona, and San Francisco, California. Florida got a boost from the expected increases in jobs in the hospitality and leisure industry, which could grow as much as 27% according to the survey. Other fields that will be hiring with jobs that often are good fits for workers 50 and older are transportation, a 28% increase, wholesale and retail trade, a 24% increase, and education and health services, a 17% increase. So those are the places where you might find jobs. Some of you may already be in these towns, and these are jobs that many people who are over 50 might be uh, eligible for. Now, furthering the report that AARP gave me, there are some tips on how to boomerang back to your old job. There is high demand for talented workers, which might mean your old boss might want you back. AARP reports, with a tight labor market and an unemployment rate floating around 3.7%, there are signs that some employees facing worker shortages are more willing to rehire their retirees or other former employees. Executive-level retirees have always been sought after to boomerang back to former employers as troubleshooters. What's different today is that there are shortages of workers in many sectors, such as health care, finance, and insurance. Now, that's sparking an uptick in employers appealing to retirees to step back in on a contract or part-time basis to fill the gaps. And in seasons of high demand, say holiday hiring, employers like UPS or big retailers like Target, are increasingly reaching out to retirees to lend a hand. Companies are in a war for talent, as skills shortages threaten to keep companies from operating at maximum capacity, said Andrew Challenger, vice president of the global outplacement and executive coaching firm, Challenger, Gray, and Christmas. This year, in particular, we are seeing companies in dire need of workers. It really is a job seeker's market. Employers also are well aware that many of their former workers are eager to be on the job, which can be a win-win situation all around. A recent study from the non-past, a recent study from the nonprofit Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies shows that 74% of the 1,825 employers surveyed agreed that many employees and many companies plan to continue working either full-time or part-time after they retire. That's in step with what the 6,372 workers canvas said as well. 56% of workers plan to continue working in retirement, including 14% who plan to work full-time and and 42% who plan to work part-time. So how do you land a new gig with that employer you walked away from before? Well, stay tuned. In another program, I'll tell you about 
some of the steps that you might take. This is Birdsong. Stick with me. There'll be more. Don't go away. Thanks for sticking with me. This is Birdsong. You've been listening to me. I have more to tell you. Very often I come on this program and I read you some of my dumb criminal law stories that I collect from all over the world. Some of them are funny. Some of them are sad. All of them are all true. The end of the month, I do a show of news tidbits, small news things that you probably haven't heard, but are also true. They're not criminal law stories, most of them, but they are interesting. Here's the first one for this month. The headline reads, It's au revoir to the naked lunch. You won't be able to order your beef in the buff when you're in Paris anymore. After 15 months, the French capital's first restaurant for nudes will close its doors next month due to a lack of customers. How sad. It's with great regret that we announce the definitive closing of the O Natural restaurant on Saturday, February 15th, the above owners announced. It's au revoir to the naked lunch. For those of you who don't know French, that means goodbye <laughs> to the naked lunch. Doesn't sound very appetizing to me, folks, but to each his own. Here's a headline. Cancer on the run. The U.S. cancer death rate has hit a milestone. It's been falling for at least 25 years, according to a new report. Lower smoking rates are translating into fewer deaths. Advances in early detection and treatment also are having a positive impact, experts say. But it's not all good news. Obesity-related cancer deaths are rising, and prostate cancer deaths are no longer dropping, said Rebecca Siegel, lead author of the American Cancer Society report published uh, this past week. Cancer also remains the nation's number two killer. As many of us know, heart disease is number one. But I think we have cancer on the run. The death rate from cancer has been declining over the last 25 years. That's good news. It really is. This next story is from the Pew Research Service. They do polls and take surveys. This one is called Top Guns. The number of Americans who live in contact with a firearm. How many or what percentage of people who are polled live with someone who owns a gun? 11%. How many people currently own a gun? 30%. How many people live in a household with no guns? 57%. Seemingly, with all the guns that are sold, there'd be more than that, but this is what the Pew Research people came up with. 11% lives with someone who owns a gun, 30% of the population currently own a gun, and 57 people live in household with no guns. If you got them, shoot them, but don't shoot yourself or anyone you love. 
Here's a funny little story. It says nose itchy, swollen. A six-year-old girl in Vietnam reportedly experienced those symptoms. Nose itchy and swollen. And it turned out it was because she had a leech living inside her nasal cavity. A doctor removed it. No more itchy nor swollen nose. Ugh, a leech. A leech in her nasal cavity. Sounds horrible. Most of these stories are from the Associated Press, folks. They're not long, and most of you probably never heard of them. Here's another one. It's called, the headline reads, Blonde Shell Discovery. Blonde Shell Discovery. Lots of gentlemen still prefer blondes, and scientists with too much time on their hands have discovered why. They're in relatively short supply. Natural blondes, as opposed to the lesions of bottle blondes who use dye, need 200 genes to create the color blonde. This is reported in the Sunday Times of London. Now, that compares to only 60 genes for brown tresses and only a handful more for most redheads. Naturally blonde hair is rare. Only 12.7% of women are born with it. For men, the figure is only 9.9%. Britain's Medical Research Council conducted this study looking only at white people of European descent. Now, there are not too many people from Africa and Asia with blonde hair. Interesting, though, isn't it? Blonde shell discovery. Now, here's a story that really surprised me. Here's the headline. He's a senior in high school and at Harvard. A 16-year-old Kansas boy is about to earn his school diploma, his high school diploma, and a few days later he'll collect his <clears throat> bachelor's degree from Harvard. Ulysses High School senior Braxton Morale will attend both commencements in May, becoming the only student to successfully pursue a four-year high school degree and a bachelor's degree from Harvard at the same time. The Ulysses native is majoring in government with a minor in English. Harvard has since changed the rules, said Braxton's dad, Carlos Morel, so his son will be the only, the one and only, reaching the double degree milestone. He'll be 17 when he gets his two diplomas. The proud farmer, the proud father rather said, the family began to realize their son was special when Braxton was in the third grade. They told us, you need to do something. He's not just gifted. He's really, really gifted, Morrell said. Bra Braxton promptly skipped the fourth grade. By high school, he was taking classes at Kansas Junior College before being admitted to Harvard. He's a senior in high school and at Harvard. Isn't that something? Here's one of those good-feeling stories, one-in-a-million kinds of things. California twin sisters were pregnant at the same time and gave birth to daughters only two hours apart. Bao Ku Yang was due two days before her identical 23-year-old sister, Bao Nia Yang, but they ended up going into labor on the same day and delivering their babies at 6.59 p.m. 
and 8.45 p.m. on a Sunday in November at the Community Regional Medical Center in Fresno, California. Maybe it's like a miracle, said Baonia. <laughs> Certainly sounds like a miracle. Boy, oh boy. How about top names for U.S. babies? We hear this every year. There are people who come up with these names. We learn that the most popular U.S. baby names of the year for 2019 are Liam, L-I-A-M for boys, and Amelia, A-M-E-L-I-A for girls, according to babynames.coms. Names that are new to the boys' chart are Alaric, A-L-A-R-I-C, George, and Kai, spelled K-A-I. On the girls' side, new names include Ember, Kaya, K-A-I-A, K-A-I-A, rather, and Athena. Quote, what's interesting is that I see gender-neutral names like Rowan, Harper, and Quim, Quinn, rather, Jumping onto both sides of the charts, says babynames.com founder Jennifer Moss. Huh. Baby names. This next one could be a dumb criminal story, but it's not. I'm using it as a tidbit. It's a small one. The headline reads, Prison Worker Drug Bust. A worker at the Oklahoma State Penitentiary is facing felony drug charges after authorities say more than 40 grams of methamphetamine were discovered in his prosthetic leg during a search of the prison's death row. The McAllister News, that's the newspaper in the capital, reports that 35-year-old Adam Michael Seymour of McAllister was charged Thursday with felony drug trafficking and bringing contraband into a prison. Prison authorities told police two bags of meth were found in Simmer's prosthetic leg during a shakedown of the prison's H unit, which houses Oklahoma's death row. Seamer was a food service supervisor at the prison. According to a police report, Simmer told police he had been set up. Court records don't indicate the name of Simmer's attorney. An Oklahoma Department of Corrections spokesman Spokeswoman, rather, did not immediately respond to a message seeking a comment. <laughs> Prison worker drunk, drug bust huh? in his prosthetic leg. Boy, oh boy. Well, I got a couple more here that you might want to hear about. Here's a strange one. In Idaho... A man has beaten a record for eating 241 corn kernels with a toothpick in three minutes. Last year, David Rush set the record for balancing a pool cue on his forehead for one hour, three minutes, and 14 seconds, but tried his hand at something cornier this year. Quote, it's a ridiculous talent to have, he said. <laughs> Out there in Idaho, I guess he's got time on his hands, eating 241 corn kernels with a toothpick in three minutes. <laughs> All right, those folks are the news tidbits for this month. I'll have some more for you maybe next month. These are all true. Remember that, all true.
I'm going to take a little break here. I'll be back with you for the final part of the show. I've got some couple of short Paul Harvey stories. And maybe I should tell you some riddles before I go. Just stick with me now. What day does an egg fear most? What day does an egg fear most? Second, why didn't the dinosaur cross the road? And finally, what's black and white and red all over? Okay, what's black and white and red all over? Those are the three riddles for this week. I'll come back and give you the answers. This is Birdsong. Stick with me. Hi, folks. This is Birdsong. I'm back with you. It's the end of the show, but there's more information here. You know, I love Paul Harvey. He was a great broadcaster. He wrote several books. His last one's called For What It's Worth. This is a book of stories that people sent him from around the world and around the country. Funny little stories that he put into a book called For What It's Worth. <clears throat> so, from what it's worth, here's a story that came to Paul Harvey, sent from Jackson, Mississippi, where Lucille Goodyear reports... All kinds of trouble driving to and from work. She says it used to be easy. No traffic problems. No mad rat race. But now, wow, cars coming from all directions. She says it's been that way ever since she got her new glasses. <laughs> oh, God. The second one for the day. For what it's worth came from a story out of Virginia Beach sent to Paul Harvey. Eric Edmonds determined to lose weight. He went to the Humana Hospital Bayside and had his stomach stapled. With staples, surgeons shrank the size of his stomach. But within 48 hours after the surgery, he snuck out of his room and raided the hospital refrigerator and ate so much he burst his staples. Mr. Edmonds is now suing the hospital for a quarter million dollars for failure to keep his refrigerator locked. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Coming to the end here, let's see what the riddle answers are. They're not that hard. Can you figure them out, or did you figure them out? First one, what day does an egg fear most? What day does an egg fear most? They fear Friday. <laughs> Second one, why didn't the dinosaur cross the road? Why didn't the dinosaur cross the road? It's because roads weren't invented back then. Finally, what's black and white and red all over? What's black and white and red all over? Well, that's an embarrassed zebra. <laughs> oh, that's birdsong having a little fun with you. All right, my thought for this week, I'm going to leave you with that. We generally change ourselves for one of two reasons, inspiration or desperation. If you don't like where you are, change it.
You're not a tree. This is Birdsong. Those are my thoughts for the week. Have a good week. I'll be back with you next week. Stay tuned. Bye-bye.